Thanks, Dad, and uh, good morning again, everyone. <laughs> Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're almost going to finish the chapter today, but not quite. <laughs> Pardon me while I turn there myself. Okay. If you remember last week, um, we talked about the dangers of false teachers and Paul's commitment for, to the gospel. And this week continues a little bit on the same theme and uh, gives us further insight into Paul's life. Um, if you remember, last week there, uh, Luke was talking about with the false teachers, how they're trying to add things on to the gospel or take things away from it. And Paul, at the end of it, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 11, um, Paul says, uh, wraps up his um, exhortation to be committed to sound doctrine with the words in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And that's where, Paul, where we finished up last week with Paul's language about the gospel. He says this glorious gospel of the blessed God, that's, you, can't, you can't put the gospel on any higher plane than that. The glorious gospel of the blessed God. And Paul said, that's what was committed to my trust. And so that's where we're going to start this week with Paul's dedication to the gospel for which he is all in. And so this week we're going to look at why is that glorious gospel so important to Paul? And as he's giving a warning against false teachers, what are Paul's credentials for his presentation of the gospel? And why can he say that this gospel which I'm giving to you is indeed the gospel of truth from our blessed God? So let's get into um, the passage we're going to cover this week. And I'm going to start by reading all the way through um, verses 12 through 16. Paul writes, And I thank God, or sorry, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, with faith and love, which were in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So that's a whole mouthful, and we're going to break it down into little chunks and see what uh, Paul's saying, and then we'll, uh, we'll take a look at the overall big picture. So first of all, in verse 12, we see that Paul is thankful that God has put him into the ministry, as it says in the verse. And um, another way you might read that last phrase, uh, put me, uh, putting me into the ministry, you can read it, appointed to service. And so let me read the uh, verse like that. 
Um, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, appointing me to service. So a lot of times when, we, when you think of ministry, you think of um, maybe something what I'm doing right now, getting up and talking to people about the word of the Lord. But Paul's ministry, his service, was much greater than just talking and getting up in front of uh, a group of people and saying, here I am, a preacher of God. Um, Paul's life was much, much more to that, much more labor in the churches, much more um, uh, service <laughs> all around. His whole entire life was de- dedicated to every area of service. Um, he made tents with the tent makers. He fellowshiped with believers during the week. And then on Sunday, he taught. His whole entire life was dedicated to service. And Paul is saying, I'm grateful to God for appointing me to this service. And so you think, well, Paul, why? Why, why are you grateful for being appointed to this service? Well, let's take a look. Verse 13 in, in contrast to Paul being in the ministry, he says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. Paul's saying, this person that you see now of service, who's faithful in service, um, we talked a little bit about that at the Lord's Supper about faithfulness, um, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, this person who's faithful in service that Paul is in this passage now and in his relationship with Timothy, that is a long way away from where Paul started out. Let's just look at these things that he says. He says he was a blasphemer. What's a blasphemer? Well, someone who uses the Lord's name in vain or uh, tears down the name of God, who says... um, that Jesus is not the Christ, is not the Messiah. In any of these things are all blasphemy to tear down who God is. That's, Paul says, that's, that's where I started off, as someone who tears down the name of God. A persecutor, someone who took active, uh, an eager and active role in making life hard for Christians and throwing them in prison. And an insolent man, someone who wasn't very easy to get along with and who reviled the name of the Lord and those who tried to follow him. Let's actually take a look at that. Let's um, turn over real quick uh, to the book of Acts, and we won't go through the whole, um, the whole of Saul's, uh, Saul slash Paul's life, um, but just look at a couple verses uh, at the beginning of Acts chapter 8 so you can get a little better idea of who he of who he was before he was appointed or appointed to service. It says, um, this is immediately following the death of, of Stephen. And it says in uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Now Saul, which is Paul, was consenting to his death. That's Stephen's death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house 
and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So that gives us a pretty good picture of who Paul was before he was called to service. It says he made havoc of the church. Because of Saul's efforts, the whole church was scattered out of Jerusalem, and many were thrown into prison. And the only people brave enough to actually stay, or, or a few of the only people brave enough to actually stay in Jerusalem were the apostles themselves. He, the, the damage, as it were, that he did to the church in Jerusalem is just hinted at in those few verses, but it must have been utter chaos. And he, he murdered Stephen along with, uh, with help of an angry crowd. Saul, Saul was not on the side of the gospel. But he says, I've, I, I'm grateful to our Lord that he appointed me to service. And we know that even though, uh, as Paul writes in this, uh, let's see, in verse 13, that he did it ignorantly in unbelief. He didn't believe who Jesus was that Jesus was who he said he was. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that the church was the right way, uh, as it was actually called then. It was called the way um, before, um, years later, it was years later before they were called Christians. But Paul didn't believe that the way was truly the way. And so he wreaked havoc in the church in Jerusalem. But that reality of which he was ignorant one day on the road to Damascus, that reality greeted him face to face and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, Saul was no longer in ignorance, but confronted with that very reality of who Jesus was. And the Lord said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. He was called to service, (laughs) goaded a little bit, as it were. But I think that goad was just the reality of seeing Jesus and knowing who he was. That reality was inescapable. And the Lord called him into service for the church. Completely changed his life. And Paul says of this in verse 14 in 1 Timothy, he says, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul can say about his, <laughs> this uh, intervention on the road to Damascus, the grace of our Lord is exceedingly abundant. There's no room in Paul's life to even receive any more grace. How can you... <laughs> how can How can you receive any more grace than the Lord confronting you face to face and saying, here's my calling to you. You're not going to persecute me anymore, but you're going to be my minister, my servant. And we know if you uh, look at the beginning of many of uh, Paul's other letters, he says, I'm Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He takes the service exceedingly seriously because of his calling and because of the gloriousness of the gospel. That the gospel, <laughs> what, is, what is the gospel more than the reality that Jesus Christ was God 
came to earth as a man, suffered and died for our sins upon the cross, was buried, rose again three days later, and ascended into heaven. To Paul, that reality was inescapable. And so it's that gospel, that reality of Jesus Christ, that he said is exceedingly great and glorious. It's the glorious gospel of our blessed God. And Paul is humbled that it was committed to his trust to share. And he's sharing, or Timothy, as his son in the faith, is sharing that burden with Paul. And as Timothy's here in this, um, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's at Ephesus right now, and he's saying, that burden that I've got for the gospel, this is what I'm telling you about, that you also share that burden. That's something that we have in common. We're called, both called to be servants. But I think there's also another reality that was weighing on Saul's heart, and that's why he, um, he talks in verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. See, Paul realized very keenly that his past life of trying to follow the law and persecuting the church and working directly against the Lord as an enemy of his made him the chief of sinners. That's a very humble attitude for Paul to have. But I think it's or I don't think so, I know so. I know it's the right one because it's in the word is recorded, Paul saying, look, I'm the chief of sinners. If anyone deserved to be damned for their offenses against God and their persecution of the church, Paul says, that's me. That's where I was. It wasn't just like I was living in indifference towards God. I was actively, passionately an enemy of God and of His church. The chief of sinners. But it's this very fact that Paul was saved from being the chief of sinners that he says is, is that's why he's grateful to have the ministry. Which would you rather have? Paul's almost putting it this way. Which would you rather have? Damnation for being an enemy of God or a lifetime of service for Him? It's not much of a choice. Not much of a choice at all. And Paul's extremely grateful. He says this whole... Um, uh, he says of his whole life, he says, I count it all as rubbish that I might gain Christ. All the hardness in his own life wasn't any harder than kicking against the goads that, of the call to, of, to service. It's far, far better for Paul and for us that we serve the Lord rather than, than being his enemy. And it's also for Paul, out of this deep realization of what the Lord has done for him and that exceeding grace and mercy that he's received that serves as his motivation for his ministry, for his service, for presenting the gospel to people. He's saying, look, I'm the chief of sinners. 
I'm the person who persecuted the church and the Lord has appointed me to build it up. I know how much I've wronged the Lord. I know how much the Lord suffered on that cross. And when Paul was on the, the road to Damascus, I can't help but thinking like how much pain must have been in the Lord's voice when he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To have wronged the Lord and have him confront Paul directly. I think Paul really realized the magnitude of his sin right there. And it's a motivation for anyone who's a Christian and in service and in, and in worshiping the Lord. Remember our sin. Remember how much that hurts the Lord, how much that made our lives miserable and unfruitful and empty before we knew the Lord. We've all experienced that if we've trusted Christ. We all know the reality of our own sin. And for Paul, it was deeply humbling. And it's a, it's a challenge and an encouragement to us as well. Realize what the effect our sin had. Realize how much we have been forgiven and how great the Lord is in showing us that forgiveness. That's why we come together every week and, uh, at the breaking of bread and worship the Lord for an hour for how great He is for saving us. That's why we do it. And so Paul, as he's saying these wor uh, verses, you could almost, you could almost see him like at, at a breaking of bread service, almost giving this as a devotional. Look, I'm the chief of sinners, and I'm just grateful to be here in this church as a saved person, let alone be appointed to service, to be called as a servant of God. I'm just grateful to be here. That's, that's where Paul's heart is at. And he continues in verse 16 as a continuation of this thought. He says, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. See, Paul's saying that pattern that you see in my life of the long-suffering of the Lord, of His faithfulness in seeking me and saving me, I'm the pattern for, for demonstrating the Lord's work in someone's life. If you want to look and see what the Lord, how effective the gospel is, Paul says, look at me. Look at the effect of the gospel on my life. That's the pattern. And for anyone who I minister to, for anyone who's getting saved, they can see that pattern in their life as well. It's the same thing. So Paul holds himself up in his own ministry as saying, look, as I'm, preaching some, as I'm preaching the gospel to you, which I passionately believe you need, this is why I know you need it, because I needed it. <laughs> that reality of the Lord Jesus is demonstrated in my life. And that's the call to Timothy, and that's the call to us. If we're reaching out to people with the gospel, and you're saying, look, here's the good news that you need. Let me show you the pattern. 
me. <laughs> I'm the person who lived out a sinful life as an enemy of God. And I'm grateful to be called to minister to anyone and everyone that I can, to my family members, to my friends, co-workers. If you want to reach someone with the gospel, we, we call it giving a testimony, right? Paul's, Paul here is saying, here's the pattern. In my life, here's what effect the gospel had. And you can have that too. It's a free gift, freely available to you if you want to, to experience all the joy and peace of being in right, right relationship with God. To be called to His service and to be happy as a bondservant of the Most High. Here's the, here's the pattern. Look at my life. And so it's a challenge to all of us to live like Paul did and say, Lord, the things that you're working in my life, I want you to keep working in my life. I want you to uh, change me more and more to be like yourself so that I might show others your grace. That, uh, <clears throat> that grace that Paul says in verse 14 is exceedingly abundant. How is anyone going to know the grace of God unless we can show it is exceedingly abundant in our own lives? And so that they might be persuaded to receive that grace and let it be exceedingly abundant in their lives as well. That's the pattern. That's how we, <laughs> that's how we reach out to people. And so there's no call for a Christian to be saying, you know, here's my life. It's perfect. And we'll give you perfection. <laughs> that's not the gospel at all. The gospel is... I was a sinner, and the Lord Jesus saved me. That's the, that's the call to ministry. And the humbleness of Paul's heart as he says, look, I'm the chief of sinners. If anyone can demonstrate the grace of God in their own life, it's me. And that's why, that's why I'm doing it. That's why my burden for the gospel is so fervent. That's why he traveled thousands of miles by foot and over the ocean to bring the gospel to others. He says, this, this is the burden upon me because of the magnitude of the grace that Paul received. And then... Um, and, and Paul's, I, I just want to point out that Paul's pattern of the, of the grace that he received, it continues into this day. It says, um, it says, it's a pattern for those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. It's, it's written down in the Word of God who Paul was and the changes in his life. And so, <laughs> even to today, we can study and say, who was Paul? How was the grace of God demonstrated in his life? We can study that. We can share it with others. To, to those who are to believe on Him for everlasting life. It's always the same. The gospel's always the same. We're all sinners. We all need the Lord Jesus. We all need that ignorance to be taken away, to know who the Lord Jesus is, and to have that reality. And notice that 
um, Paul says twice, um, in, uh, he says once in verse 13 and once in verse 16 that he obtained mercy. The Lord gave him mercy because, <laughs> um, he says, first time he says, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He's not saying that his, unbe- his ignorance was an excuse. But his ignorance was a starting point for when that reality came in that he could latch on to the truth. He didn't know the truth yet and have rejected it. He just he didn't know. And when he was confronted with it, he, he grabbed onto it. And he said of his attaining mercy, right, that, he, that that showed the long-suffering of the Lord and demonstrated who the Lord Jesus really is. And then I love how he goes straight from talking about his own sin in his life and how, uh, how that pattern is going to repeat itself over and over and everyone who believes in the gospel after that. And all he can say after that um, is just, all he can do is worship the Lord. And that's what verse 17 is. Paul says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> that's the proper response to a life that's been changed by the Lord. We say, praise the Lord. We say to Him alone, be honor and glory and majesty. It says, be honor and glory forever and ever. How can we not praise the Lord because of what He's done for us? How can we not praise the Lord because of His long-suffering and His grace and His mercy that He's given to us? (laughs) We do it every week. It's great. I'd much rather rather spend an hour praising the Lord than up here talking. (laughs) Because we just purely focus on the Lord and what He's done in our lives. And it's a great chance to just reflect and say, yeah, I was a sinner. The worst. The Lord saved me. We, we break the bread and take the cup in remembrance of the, what the Lord's done for us. That, that hour of worship, <laughs> Paul tries to convict, condense down into this one verse. Um, and actually, uh, it's been set to music, and we'll, we'll close with it at the end of this meeting. So we have, we have that to look forward to as well. Um, but I wanted to draw out uh, a few applications out of this uh, passage um, that I've, I've started talking about a little bit, but I want to uh, fully flesh out. And that the, fir- the first thing is, is that our love for Christ should start with truly realizing who we are um, as sinners. Because without understanding of what it means to be a sinner, we don't have any basis to give thanks for our salvation. Right? It's like that parable of the, of the debtors, right? The um, fellow owed the master uh, a great amount of money. I think... Uh, I think there was a sermon that Noah did um, maybe a couple years back 
where he said he calculated out the debt was like over a billion dollars in today's money. Completely un- unrepayable by a, a poor working servant. And the, um, when the master forgave that servant of all that debt, the, uh, the servant <laughs> should have been grateful. Um, and there's other stories as well about um, people who, can, who uh, the Lord saved and said, your sins are forgiven. And they worshiped the Lord. And the Lord said to, um, said to those people, He said, um, for those who are forgiven much, love much. And it's really a proud position if anyone says, I was only forgiven a little bit. That's just a position of pride. Because the reality of it is we're all forgiven much, aren't we? We don't all have to be Saul who's killing people and throwing people in prison and persecuting the church to be forgiven much. For every lie that we tell, for every time that we get angry and commit murder in our hearts, for just the multitude of sins that we committed on a daily basis, the Lord stretched out His arms on a tree and suffered and bled and died for those sins just as much as He died for Paul who persecuted the church. And so if you want, if you want to pray for humility, pray also that the Lord would help you understand your sin. Because that's, that's deeply um, humiliating, to be honest. Um, I... Uh, I remember I, I made that prayer. I said, Lord, um, show me the sin of my life. And this was after, after I was a Christian, after I was committed to following the Lord. And I started, the Lord started pointing out to me critical thoughts and times that I got angry or times that I just didn't care about something that I should have really cared about. And uh, I think about a couple days after I prayed that prayer, I said, Lord, I can't handle it anymore. Woe is me. I'm unclean. And, uh, but that's, it's, a, it's a very good um, place to be. And I don't want to say, you know, don't, don't pray that prayer because you're going to be scared by what you see. Do pray that prayer. Because we realize so much more who the Lord is. And if... All you, when you see your own sin, if you just focus on yourself and try and guilt yourself out of, out of sinning, that doesn't work like that. <laughs> what happens, what you need to do is say, Lord, I recognize my sin and I praise you for being a great Savior. That's the right attitude to have. Don't, don't focus on the sin. Let the Lord work in your life by how great and holy He is. And accept the instruction of the Lord in overcoming the sin. Even Paul himself, I'm reminded of that, uh, that passage where Paul says of his, of his own life, as he, he said of the sin in his own life, he says, who will deliver me from this wretched body of death? Because what I will not to do, that's what I practice. And what I will to do, I can't accomplish at all. To, to paraphrase the passage, even Paul, who's, who understands the magnitude of his own sin, 
who says, yeah, I'm the chief sinner. Even Paul struggled with sin in his own life constantly. To the point of saying, who's going to deliver me from this body of death that I struggle with sin so much? But then what's the next verse that he says? He says, but thanks be to God who's given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about the Lord Jesus. We can't get stuck in thinking about our own sin. But that very failing, that very humility that we have because we understand it, should motivate us into service, should motivate us to share the gospel with others. And saying to someone else, yeah, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner too. But we can recognize a great Savior, and we can serve Him as we're called to do, and we can experience true joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in a relationship with God that you can get from nowhere else. Absolutely nowhere else. So that's where our worship and love for the Lord starts, is with the recognition of our own sin. And I think we'll be more and more effective in our ministry the more we recognize our sin and the more we love the Lord. He who is forgiven much loves much. And second of all, um, as I've talked about a little already, hold yourself up as the pattern when you're reaching out to other people with the gospel. Hold yourself up in saying, look, the reason I'm serving the Lord is because I've been forgiven much. It's not about our own practical day-to-day righteousness in terms of reaching out to other people. We will screw up. We will fall down. We will get frustrated. I've, <laughs> this may sound uh, uh, incredibly sinful, but it's who I am. I, I remember I was, uh, I was talking to a fellow, um, and we were going through the Stranger on the Road to Emmaus class, and as I was talking to him about the gospel, and it didn't seem like he was getting it, it seemed like he was kind of resisting it, I got frustrated. And I think the person that I was talking to picked up a bit on that frustration. And, and I had to go, wait, hold on a second. I'm frustrated here, and I shouldn't be frustrated with this other person because I'm not loving them if I'm, if I'm demonstrating anger and frustration towards them. But oftentimes that happens when we try and reach out to people is we, we ourselves miss up, mess up in the very ministry towards other people. And you can't try and hide it or overlook it. You have to say, look, I'm sorry, I, I messed up. But just as I receive grace from the Lord, so you can too. I'm not trying to, to turn you into a perfect person. Our perfection is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. That's where our perfection lies. But when we're trying to minister to people or for remembering who we were before we were saved, yeah, we're, uh, we're failures, we're sinners. But the, the emphasis is all upon Him. And so when we're reaching out to people, don't, don't try and cover up your own sin. 
Don't glorify it, but don't cover it up. People recognize when we're honest and, tr- and, t- and tell them the truth about ourselves. Because if we don't tell them the truth about ourselves, how are they going to be con- convinced that we're telling them the truth about the Lord Jesus? Paul says, here's the truth about me. I'm the ch- chief of sinners. But because, because of what the Lord has done in my life, I can say I'm the pattern for all, everyone else who's going to believe. And I can demonstrate the long-suffering of the Lord. So it's a, it's a great, effective tool to be um, truthful and humble before people we're tra- trying to reach out to. And the, the third point that I want to leave us with is um, Paul put in in verse 12 at the very beginning. It says, um, the Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. Um, Paul p- puts here an emphasis on faithfulness and service. And that's also something that we as believers are committed to do, is to be faithful to the Lord in our service for him. Whether, uh, you know, I can just look in, in Paul's life, um, he was faithful in the small things and what we might consider great, greater things. He was faithful in his tent making with, Aprilo, uh, with uh, Aquila and Priscilla, right? Even in the small things, the day-to-day, sitting down with his job, spending some time with the saints. He was faithful in those little things. And he was also faithful in his travels and preaching the gospel to the point of getting thrown out of the synagogues and stoned and beaten and all those other things. But it's all... It's not... Uh, it's not a small amount of faithfulness for the little things and a lot of faithfulness for the big things. The faithfulness is all the same. If you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the greater things as well. But the Lord is calling us out of our love for Him to be faithful in our service towards Him. And saying, Lord, it doesn't matter if I'm sweeping out the chapel lobby or I'm standing up here preaching, or I'm ministering to widows, or I'm teaching in the Sunday schools, or I'm helping out in the kitchen. There's no, there's no small or great. The Lord says, be faithful. All of these things we're called to do and be faithful in all of them. And it's, it's, it's a human ranking scale where we rank some things as small and some things is great. We say, oh, you, you have a, a good position. You've been uh, teaching in the Sunday school class for years, or you're an elder in the church. Let me tell you, uh, and I'm sure Eric and Don and Howard would, tell, would say the same thing. The elders that are faithful to us now started off being faithful in the little things. I'm sure Eric... <laughs> stacked hymnals after the services. In fact, I've seen him do it um, back when we were at A Street. Eric was there putting the hymnals away after the service. Faithful in small things. And faithful in what we would call greater things as well. But the motivation of that, as I, as I said, comes out of a true love for the Lord and a recognition of who we are. And the reason I know 
that this motivation works is one, I know it's true in my own life, and two, I can point to it as being true in the Word of God and Paul's life. You've, I don't think any of us have ever met anyone near <laughs> so motivated as Paul was. I don't know if that guy ever stopped moving or if he ever slept. <laughs> Between all the traveling that he did and the preaching, and um, for the most part, Paul didn't rely upon money from churches for all of his ministry and travels. And he had to have food and shelter and clothes on his back. And I'll bet Saul wore out an awful, or sorry, Paul, uh, I'll bet Paul wore out an awful lot of pairs of sandals in all of his travels. And most of that support, not all of it, but most of it came by, from him actually working as a tent maker and uh, to support himself in the ministry. And he, uh, he says that to certain churches. He says, I didn't ask you for any money while I was there ministering. So I don't know how Paul accomplished all the things that he accomplished to support himself and to carry out and plant all these churches and travel and ministry um, through all of that. He must have been really burning the candle at both ends. But the motivation for all of that was his love for the Lord and for, uh, as he would call himself, a bondservant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, that this work that I do is not even a small fraction of what I truly owe to the Lord as one who is saved by an exceeding amount of grace and mercy. And so, as we go about in our ministries day to day, whether noticeable or not, strive to be faithful and demonstrate your love for the Lord. Be encouraged by our salvation. Be encouraged by the Lord saying, look, I died for you. And it's a response. Just like... Um, Verse 17, where Paul praises the Lord as worship. Our service also is a response to the Lord in understanding how great our salvation really is. It's just, we can't help ourselves. We have to serve the Lord because we love Him so much. Right? It's like the, uh, um, like a loving husband and wife working with each other side by side. They're not doing it because they have to. They're doing it because they love each other. The husband might go out and do the, the yard work. He's not saying, you know, I'm mowing this grass because I, I feel like it. But I'm doing it because I love my family. And I want to keep my household in order. For the, for the mom who stays up late at night with a sick kid... She's not doing it because she feels like she has to. She's doing it because she loves the kid. And that's our proper motivation for serving the Lord. If we're not serving the Lord, I'll tell you, you're not going to be happy. It's easy to just kind of float through, come to church on Sundays, read your Bible every once in a while, 
You can float through if you want to. But let me tell you, there's nothing more deeply rewarding than saying, Lord, I'm doing this out of love for you and being faithful in it. And let me tell you, th- let me tell you this. When you're serving the Lord, you'll also realize how much of a sinner you are. Because there's all sorts of things while you're serving the Lord that try and distract you and um, take away from the service that you're trying to do. Let me tell you, this week, while I was preparing for this, this sermon, all of a sudden, all these TV shows that I didn't really want to watch before suddenly looked attractive <laughs> and like a good, 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 uh, good uh, investment of time. But those are just distractions. And it made me realize, uh, how much, again, just how much of a sinner I am, that I would rather sit down and be entertained rather than putting in some work t- of love towards you guys and towards the Lord. And that was, that was humbling to me this week. And I think Paul must have dealt... Uh, I mean, obviously, he didn't have TV back then, but I think there was plenty of other distractions for Paul. And, you know, maybe... As I'm on the shores of the Mediterranean, maybe I'll just take it easy on a, on a beach for a couple days, you know, or something like that. Paul had all sorts of um, opportunities to give up, to, to slow it down a little bit. But because he loved the Lord so much and because he felt such a burden for the saints and for the unsaved, he said, look, I, <laughs> I can't stop. I count my entire life as rubbish and I might f- serve Christ. And so that's an encouragement to all of us. Serve the Lord. Serve Him with gladness. And, uh, and we'll enter into His courts one day with thanksgiving and praises. Shall we praise the Lord? Lord Jesus, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for saving us, miserable sinners. And Lord, we pray for us as we go out this week and serve You. Lord, may we do it out of a deep love for you because we realize who we are and we realize how great you are as our Savior. Lord, we say that we love you. We, we desire to serve you this week. Lord, give us opportunities, we pray. And may we notice them and demonstrate our love for you because of the great grace which you showed us. Lord, we, uh, we praise you and thank you for what you've done in our lives and are doing and will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.